Welcome to the Rebecca Panapinto Project. Today I am joined by Chris Silver. Chris is a high growth sales and strategy expert who is helping companies to scale. His insights are highly sought after for building and expanding enterprise go-to-market teams through a value creation framework. This leads to new customer acquisitions, expansion, and trusting relationships. Chris is an award-winning salesperson earning the honor of top salesperson and leader consistently over the past decade, spanning five different companies and industries. He has built and expanded multiple teams resulting in the fastest new market entry and growth both domestically and internationally. Through his distinctive high-value framework, Chris has seen results such as the creation of zero to $200 million of business in just under three years. We have an awesome conversation today where Chris shares his perspective on think tank culture, as well as how AI will impact the contact center. Enjoy the show. Chris, welcome to the show today. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. I've really been looking forward to this conversation, so thank you for taking the time to connect, and I'm excited to get your take on the industry and all things digital transformation. Absolutely. I'm excited. I'm glad that we finally were able to do this. It's been uh, years coming. I agree. Yeah. So awesome. Let's dive right in because the reason I was super intrigued to have you on the show is your perspective comes from one a little outside of my normal swim lane, which is contact center. Mm -hmm. But contact center is in everything. Everybody uses it. You had a saying that it's the lifeblood of any business's customer experience, which I love. So Expand on that a little bit for us. Tell us more about your passion about Contact Center and where you can see digital making a big impact with that. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at a company, company is wants to make money, right? The way that you make money is you have customers. So the lifeblood of any single company is, is the area where you're directly connected to your customers. That's what the Contact Center is. And the Contact Center spans not only to the the kind of the old mindset of call centers, just calling in to complain and service. Contact centers have evolved. They are now profit centers. They are sales centers. They are marketing centers. They are service centers, but the, you know, the whole industry has shifted where they're converting service centers by using technology to really, really deliver a higher level of service. They've realized we can increase the amount of spend that we could get from our existing customers. And now we can also use it to attract and sell net new customers, as well as cross-sell existing customers. So you have that direct, the direct line to your, your revenue stream, which is your customer, but it's also your data hub. I think it's a great example of everybody's in sales too. It's no more of like, you talk to your salesperson, go back to your salesperson. Like, no, when my iPhone's busted, I'm going to reach out to support and it could absolutely be an upsell opportunity. So now everybody is in sales. And to be in sales, you, know, you have to understand sales. You have to understand psychology. You have to understand buying. You know, that's really hard to do to get a contact center agent to be multi-skilled and multifaceted like that. They have so much to do. So now you're seeing a lot of these AI technologies like agent assistances and intelligent and interactive virtual agents come into the contact center to help to augment uh, these agents to be able to have the conversation with the customer and guide them on some of the areas that could be weaknesses reducing the amount that you need to train them. So it's making them really effective. And you're seeing a lot of those, those impacts affect in a positive way, the top and bottom lines. I like your thought too, though, around helping people sell themselves too. Like my initial thought was people buying on TikTok, people buying on Instagram. And like, I very rarely in my consumer interactions am talking to a salesperson. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure it's a generational thing, but do you see like, you know, 
some people that really want their hand held and how you're able to deliver a certain experience for them versus, hey, just tell them where to click upgrade. <laughs> yeah. You know, companies today, when you're selling to people, it's really, really rare to have a product or a service that you provide where your entire customer base wants to sell themselves or wants to be handheld, right? How do we service them from the way that they prefer to interact with us? And it's a, you know, it's a giant social experiment right now, globally. Oh, yeah. I was talking to a friend the other day about YouTube shorts and Instagram reels. And I'm like, you know, I don't think I really see many ads on those. And he goes, oh, no, you do. The ads have just gotten really good at disguising mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. like, Whoa, you're right. So now my definite attention has like increased to be like, wait, I think I just saw an ad. And it's this subtle, like trying to meet me where I'm at. They know I'm scrolling these silly reels and these YouTube shorts. And so they're just going to slide in something for liquid death, which I'm an aggressive purchaser. of. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow, they did just market to me, but it was entertainment. It maybe had an influencer tied to it, which they actually did. Um, the grandma that plays drums was their most recent. So hitting everything that I'm intrigued by. And I was like, wow, they are still advertising to me, but it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like it's a salesperson saying, hey, you know, you're ready to order your liquid death again for the month because <laughs> that would turn me off. I'd be like, I'm done. I'm out. But yeah, if you uh, if you can actually meet people, like you said, where they are, what they like doing, and then at the same time, when they have that really good, intrigued, invested focus on what they're looking at and they're in that mental state and then drop in something that you believe would be something that they're interested in in a way that's visually appealing to them, people are going to buy things in ways that they've never bought before. Oh, and they'll sell for you too. I mean, exactly. I send countless reels to friends that I think are funny or whatever. Right. But if there's some message in there too, and like it's liquid death, for example, that exposure just happened between two friends accidentally. And I didn't get a commission, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So maybe absolutely. down the road. That's where affiliate marketing is really taking off right now. You know, people are people are quitting their jobs to videotape themselves using products. And it's a it's a full-time thing. And the 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 consumer behavior and the buying habits are shifted to that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a really good perspective I heard the other day too that I would love your take on. And it came from mm -hmm. Neil Patel, who I'm a huge fan of. And it's basically relating to how AI can help increase like video content, rent-tent content, content, all these different ways that you can scale yourself basically by using AI to help you with content. And his perspective was, that's cool, that's great, but it's also gonna magnify the people that are sharing crappy content <laughs> and giving them more you know, garbage 10 point lists to share versus quality content. So there'll be a balance as time goes on of allowing AI to be introduced to these situations to make it better but still keeping a human element attached to it. So I'm curious your perspective as you've been dabbling in AI yourself and trying to help that increase user experiences for folks. Um, I think that the most exciting part about AI is not about the jobs that are gonna be replaced by AI, it's gonna be the jobs that will be created because the sheer amount of support and training, especially with these, these technologies that deal with humans, with empathy and having to understand, you know, that's something that is going to be really, really hard to replace. So that's where the market is shifting. That's what I'm really excited for is, is I don't think the future, is, the future boom is AI. I think that that's here. I think the future boom is the companies that are built to support these technologies. So it's great that they're coming out with them. 
I think that there's a lot of people throwing a lot of stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Um, but I think that the augmentation of humans is really where this needs to focus. I like that perspective. And it actually makes me think that somebody's perspective and take on AI actually mm -hmm. tells you a lot about that person because mm -hmm. some people are like, Oh yay, chat GPT can just write my LinkedIn post every day. And right. I'm like, Oh, they can, but I'll beat you every day because your posts are going to be garbage if it's not human and right. if it's not relevant to your audience. So it's like, and Neil Patel had a great example and opinion of this as well in, in this episode I had, or I listened to of like, it's the people that are going to figure out how to leverage it, but take it to the next level who are going to have like increasing success, increasing influence. And then it's going to weed out more and more people who just think they can be lazy with AI and AI is going to do their job for them. It tells you a lot about a person on how they how they see it too. Like, cool, these are tools to make me better for your contact center folks. Like they can just be that much better of a, well, not only agent, but now salesperson, upsell person. Like they have all these things that they can get better at and be a better contributor to society versus them thinking the AI is just going to do their job for them. It's not. <laughs> I love that perspective because um, I, I think that there is a generation here looking at AI for the wrong reasons. And it's a, it's a lazy approach. It's like, oh, I hate doing this. Oh, now I can just have them do it, right? The whole point of these posts on LinkedIn and social media is so people understand more about you and your perspective by really offloading and outsourcing who you are to an AI engine is not going to do much. I love your perspective. Super helpful. Let's chat about it more now in the context of contact center in the world you, you know, eat, sleep, and drink. How do you think it can initially make some of those people better and those interactions better? And maybe even you're already doing that today. Would love some examples of your thoughts around it. So digital transformation really needs to be focused on. And I think that we are, we are talking about AI and they're starting to deploy AI into the contact centers but they're having to do it in a way that isn't as effective as it, as I think the companies would like it to be because they're going to, they're starting in small pods. And the reason that they're smarting, starting in small pods is because they have to go where the unified data sets are in order to really make them effective. So that's number one is the unification of digital transformation. That's good. I'm just curious in a normal course of business, when you talk to a customer, mm -hmm. how many ununified scenarios are there already? Is it manageable or is it hundreds? When you say that, you mean how many customers do I speak with that actually <laughs> are in that situation? Yeah, well, that could even do a could even do a pilot based on you know having control of their systems. I would think it's zero at this point. Zero have zero that you can do pilots with. Yeah, or like that have something ready unified that you don't have to do groundwork with. Yeah, so very few of them do. Um, what ha what what's happening is what we're seeing is a lot of companies instead of doing things unified cross cross-functionally, they tended to focus on departments, right? So they'll go and pull in um, a CRM, you know, a Salesforce, an Oracle, Zendesk, Microsoft Dynamics, and they'll, they'll bring into a department or multiple departments. Um, but then they still rely on a different data set. Like for instance, I have, a, um, I have a customer that's a hotel chain, right? They have Salesforce, but that's an overlay for another technology underneath that actually is the, the bookings engine. So Salesforce can't actually do the booking, but it has some of the data. So you see mix, mix and match. So yeah, so very rarely are we going into customers that have a completely unified data set. So where customers are actually starting is the areas where they are. So it's really 
is really business unit and business unit to function to function is where we start. It's very rare to see someone be at a place where everything is so unified that you can do it cross-functionally across a whole company, unless it's super light and it's gener generalities like self-service um, for frequently asked questions or general self-service and, and uh, IVAs in order to route to the, the appropriate parties. So it's definitely getting there. Um, there, that's the prime focus of everybody, but that's something that other people who are looking to jump right into artificial intelligence projects really need to pause and think about before they do it. Oh, an enterprise. There's so much groundwork that needs to be done. I can think of very few that are like, cool, we can <clears throat> actually action on this AI stuff in the next six months. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of groundwork and, and thought process that go into first the unification piece, which is, I don't think they even think I, about <clears throat> a lot of the, the big surprise that I think um, some of the customers that we work with are is the sheer amount of time that it takes to train. You know, it's not a set it and forget it model. Artificial intelligence is artificial intelligence, but think about a human. You have went through how many years of school to get to the point where you can hold a conversation. And then from that standpoint, to get into the business world and the enterprise world, how many jobs did you have and how many conversations did you need to have and stumble through and mess up and fall on your face and figure it out again before you can stand in front of executives at a company and speak to them. It's the same thing with AI. That's a, it's, it's just as important, if not the most important as the evaluation process. And you make a good point too, to the potential fault of AI. Because mm -hmm. along that learning period, every time you learn something new, probably came from a failure, probably came from pain. So it's going to be the same with AI. That means every result you get from AI, you can't assume is correct. You right. still have to have some thought and pressing on it to like make sure it's actually accurate. And it can then learn from that failure. But you've got to then realize, like you said even earlier, it's not magic. It's right. got to be treated with you know some sensibility and human touch for sure. Yeah. They'll provide you the insights, but you need to make the decisions. So let's bring this back a little bit more specific to the world that you live in day in, day out of Contact Center. And where do you see some early stages that they can be adopting AI to start making impact today? A lot of, a lot of things that we are seeing today for an initial step forward is more of the incorporation of frequently asked questions into self-service, whether it's on a voice channels or whether it's in the app in chat, in SMS, and even in email, which you see it more in chat and, and voice and SMS than email, because those are just longer written messages or just standard forms. And what they're doing is they're trying to figure out, okay, we need to prioritize the amount of calls and the reasons for the, all the calls that we have. And what are the calls that you know take the longest and then take a look at those and figure out of those calls, which of them are things that should be able to be handled that are self-service that where if we provided the right information in the right mode of communication in the right channel with the right options, it can actually be a seamless and quick experience instead of having to sit and listen to lists and then get it to an agent because no one wants to sit and wait and hold throughout all that. So that's really where we're seeing the, the initial jolt into the contact center is the applications of self-service where we can automate a lot of the, you know, the, the, low transaction, low value types of, uh, of interactions. From there, we are seeing the second area where a lot of customers are focusing on, and that's Asian assistances. 
Um, they're essentially taking the quality management solutions, which is, you know, coaching, um, providing training and insights that typically used to be done historically after the fact and batched out and sent at the end of the day, end of the week and done in reviews with the agents of how to get better. They're now turning that into real time coaching. So you don't need to stumble and fall and fail and learn with real life customers. The AI engines are there to augment you and help you make decisions and convert a lot of these, a lot of these transactions or a lot of these calls that would typically need to bounce around from escalation to escalation from group to group. Now a single agent can handle that because you have the AI engine guiding them of what they needed to do, even if they weren't trained on that, and then can automate the tasks in the back and in the system, knowing where the conversation is going and do a lot of the after call work and a lot of the note taking and next steps and scheduling that would typically be done by an agent. That agent can now focus on that next interaction and providing a higher level of service instead of spending, you know, 10, anywhere from 10 to 40% of their interaction in administrative work, just documenting what happened. So that's what we're seeing the two big areas in the contact center today. And what's coming from that is the insights, all the data. I keep saying data is important. All the reporting coming back and giving to you in real time and in historical, the trends of what's going on and where, and, and what insights you need to know that are trending. So if you need to make different decisions, routing decisions, add certain other areas to self-service modules or frequently asked questions that you didn't think of, they can help do that today. And, and the value of it, it really is, you know, real time. You could do it in, in much quicker instances that typically you would look for trends over months. Now you can look for trends over hours. The thing that comes to mind too, in that example is the increase I'm sure there is to job satisfaction. Like you just took a role that was very like monotonous, note-taking, administrative, and you're letting these people just now solve problems and have happy customers. That could only make the job better. These technologies are helping, like you're saying. These agents feel good about their, what they're doing. Not feel, not feel inferior because they didn't have time to go through all these trainings and feeling like they're left behind. These trainings are being delivered to them ahead of time and in real time to catch them as a safety net. And I think it's really giving them you know, that sense of relief is like, I know I have a supervisor here, but I have an artificial intelligence engine sitting next to me, riding shotgun, telling me what to do. So I don't need to stop the conversation that could be heading in a poor direction and get a supervisor where now I just elevated the frustration of that caller, no matter what I do. So yeah, it's definitely improving the quality of life from a work-life balance. So we've been showing off that you're pretty technical and you're a pretty detailed guy, but the truth is you're a sales guy like through and through. It's been my engineers would laugh to hear you say that. <laughs> hey, yeah, I mean, you've been showing it off for a little bit. You actually know what I, AI is about. Um, but I want your perspective now from a sales point of view. Like mm. you've had this whole think tank culture that you've been building mm. and how you've been le leading sales teams. Share some of your insights and perspective on how you're really going about energizing folks and focusing on the forefront of sales with what you guys are doing. So think tank culture for me is really big, making sure that the entire team is invested in creating our initiatives. We co-present with one another. I don't do one-on-ones and team calls where we do forecasting, right? They're workshops and that's what it is. And we are all trying to get each other better for what we are doing today and what we will be doing tomorrow. And that is my big focus in leadership is making sure that we have a think tank culture to keep everybody involved. Well, and you're helping dream for the team versus just being more reactive, which gets people way more engaged and committed to your success. 
Yeah, and you get people invested, right? Groups, groups within companies that typically wouldn't be pulled into sales and just would be thought of as some supporting group that you were gonna that only gets reached out to when there's a problem. They're now pulled to the forefront, and you know it's important for them to realize how important they are. So by having that inclusiveness, I've seen tremendous change in just the the overall initiatives of our company today. Right? We there's plenty of things that we have done where we've influenced products to be built in general or products to be built in different ways just by being just by having this culture of let's figure this out together and the more and more we are all cross-pollinated with what's going on on the forefront with customers helps us in the back end really figure out is this the best strategy that we are on do we need to shift our path or create two different paths and have two different initiatives going and it's um it's really the key for companies to stay innovative and stay growing the companies that don't do this, who are closed off, who make decisions in a vacuum, who wait for sales kickoffs to tell everyone what they're doing, you know, those are the ones that will start out out of the cannon in the first half of the year great, and then it will kind of die off towards the back half of the year because they lose that energy and that momentum that they only get once a year. So I try to focus heavily on that energy and that excitement to be, to be influenced year-round for the teams. And it comes back to everyone's in sales. Whether Everybody like is it in sales. And know it or not. <laughs> if you don't want to be in sales, too bad I'm pulling you in. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a bad thing. Right. Um, I think if more people realize the benefit to variable compensation, they'd all be more intrigued by sales. <laughs> but it's fear that yeah. keeps people from wanting to take the risk and push, you know, things. Yeah. So. Fear's a fear is a terrible thing. Now we need to overcome it. We can only do it together. That's good. I have one last question for you now, Chris, sure. and that's around principles. I'm curious mm. to hear from you. What's the core principle that you've lived by to be successful in business? That's uh, that question's really interesting because if you ask anyone that knows me or worked with me at any of my companies or um, or is on my teams right now, they know that I am huge on quotes. You know, I'll have I won't have a quote of a year. I will have a quote of a quarter, a quote of a week, quote of a month. Something that really resonated with me or inspired me for, for what is impacting us as a group right now? What is impacting me right now? What are these negative energies and pressures that I feel? Is the rest of, of the teams that I'm working with feeling them as well? You know, and then if I can figure out like what those quotes are that help me, you know, I broadcast them out. However, there's one thing that I have consistently always lived by. And I'm not a big sports quote guy. Um, this does come from Babe Ruth, but it's, it's hard, <laughs> it's hard to beat a person who doesn't give up. And I find that that is so important just for the character of who we are today. You know, we talked a lot about AI and technology and what do we constantly talk about? Like it all has to do with training. Well, when you train things, it's through trial and error. You train, you train consistently and ongoing based upon essentially a technology failing somewhere, missing something that's a failure, realizing that, recalibrating and figuring out how you can train or augment the way that phrases are pronounced to make it better. This is the same thing with all of us in our careers. Times get really, really tough. It's not only with work, it's also with family and personal lives, right? But if every time that we hit adversity, it became so overwhelming that you just gave up, you're never going to go through the process that you need to go through to become the next version of you. And 
what I always what I always do is I think about that quote. It's actually on my wall over here. You can't see it, but I really think about it because I mean, sales and every job in general, but sales specifically from my experience. I'll tell you something right now, every three months, I'm going to have that pressure because that's quarter end. So at a minimum, you have the quarter end pressure. You also have monthly pressures and situational pressures. You've got to go through that adversity. You know, so the, the more and more you can realize, embrace the process, embrace going through this, but make sure that if you are going to go through this and you're mentally strong enough to realize that this is going to be good coming out of it, take notes, get a journal. Make sure that you notate every massive hurdle that caused you to want to give up and go through this journey, but come back to that journal, come back to that note and write specifically how you got through it, both functionally and emotionally. It's so important. And especially in this time, um, 2023, you know, you have a lot of people, um, a lot of these gurus, influencers, trying to sell their courses and, you know, nothing, nothing against them. They're doing a great job. They're doing what they know, but the way to sell, you know, you have pain and pleasure results. It's so much easier to get clicks, views, um, on things that on products or services that you're selling. If you can create enough doom and gloom around it and put people in a scared state. The thing I want to say is if you look at my kind of my principles, my mantra of, you can't, you really can't beat someone that doesn't give up. You're going to get better. You need to flip the script. 2023 is going to be the year of arguably the most opportunity there's ever been in the entire world. But if you're focusing on the economy, if you're focusing on what you know, if you're focusing on that trending stock that you've been watching for five years, if you're focusing on living day to day on what Bitcoin and Ethereum are doing, well, I got to tell you, you're focusing on the areas that they're referring to that are going to have struggle years. Go find those opportunities. You know, be optimistic about it and embrace the hardship that you're going to face in adversity because I promise you that opportunity will come out, will arise, you will find it, and you will be in a mental state to capitalize on it. I love it. I had a great friend great. and mentor that said, on a long enough timeline, you'll win. So it's staying with it. And as long as you stay engaged. with it, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's great. I love your perspective, Chris. You're a fabulous leader. Thanks again for coming on the show and we'll talk again here soon. Absolutely. Thank you for everything. Thanks for the time.